Hello and welcome to the Bangla Cricket Podcast. I'm Roshan and in this episode we will be looking ahead to Australia's tour of Bangladesh. They'll be playing five T20s in preparation for the Men's World T20 in October. And joining me to look ahead at this series is a man who I've wanted on this podcast for a long time. And I'm not just saying that. There have been a lot of cancelled tours, <laughs> a lot of cancelled tours. He is a commentator, an author, a podcast and an all-round lovely man. Jeff Lemon, welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And you never know when Australia will cancel a Bangladesh tour, whether going to Bangladesh or having Bangladesh come to Australia. We'll cancel either of them. You know, we're an equal opportunity cancellation <laughs> country so it's it's very pleasing to be able to feel I think 60% confident that a tour will go ahead well I was gonna ask and that was really my first question I mean we've had postponements we've had cancellations we've even Mm -hmm. had not financially viable which is my personal favorite I mean what's changed this time I feel like maybe they booked this tour in when they thought the world t20 was in India they thought let's get used to conditions and it was probably (laughs) too late to book there was no they didn't get COVID insurance on their flights well (laughs) Look, it may have been that. It may have been that it was too difficult to reschedule. Admittedly, the Barbados to Dhaka direct charter is a niche flight. There's not necessarily, like, huge public demand for that particular leg of the journey. But I think it's basically that Australia don't completely mind going to Bangladesh because that doesn't cost them any money. They just don't like Bangladesh coming to Australia Mm. because, you know, I mean, the last time, when was it? 2004, 2003? 2003, I think. 2003. I mean, mean, at the end of the current World Test Championship cycle, it would have been basically two decades since Bangladesh toured Mm. because they're not due to anytime soon. And I think out of contractual obligations they're not getting any favours yeah and it was particularly funny the last time around because CA did organise for Bangladesh to come and play and then with about six months to spare said actually you know what hang on a minute we don't think we're going to make any money out of this so we'll cancel that tour you would have thought they'd at least know that before they arranged the tour the first time but apparently not Uh, it was in the middle of football season (laughs) people are too busy they're watching football we didn't know when football season was it changes around sometimes it's winter sometimes it's summer (laughs) so yeah look apologies to uh, everybody who would have liked to see Bangladesh play in Australia at some point in the last two decades so would I to be honest so would I well on behalf of your great nation we'll accept that apology because it has been a long time coming and even even Australia touring Bangladesh uh, it's been what four years and this is I mean the quickest of tours it's over in a week five games in seven days um, and under the most ridiculous of well not ridiculous we're in the middle of a pandemic so under under sort of conditions that Cricket Australia have agreed with BCB so both teams flew in from their respective tours so Australia from West Indies and Bangladesh from Zimbabwe and they have both gone into the same hotel so mm-hmm. they're all isolating now I thought this would be quite a nice hotel to be in bumping in at the breakfast buffet but this morning going through Instagram I've seen quite a few of the Bangladeshi players already doing little TikTok montages of how bored they are um, so it's obviously <laughs> taking a toll on the uh, on the guys early on um, but there's been a bit of controversy uh, uh, already because um, one of the conditions was that, yeah, only players who were in the existing bubbles could tra- travel to Bangladesh and go straight into the hotel. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, match officials, etc., all had to isolate for 10 days before becoming part of the bubble. And basically, Mushfika Rahim had to uh, drop out of the last tour in Zimbabwe yep. uh, because of a family issue. He then missed that 10-day deadline. And so mm-hmm. he's now been dropped from the squad. And this morning in the press and on social media, people are going, well, hang on, we've done the maths here. Why can't he be available for the second or third match um, and, and and it's kicked off because people are like we don't really understand the rules here but rules have to be made and, and it, we can't bend the rules for anyone can we in these sorts of times I think 
Well, the thing is you need to know what the rules are and I'm not sure that anybody really does except for the people who have said that Mushvika can't play. Maybe this is a ploy from Australia to get an advantage on the wicket-keeping front <laughs> because the Australian squad has four potential wicket-keepers. Alex Carey, Ben McDermott, Matthew Wade, Josh Philippi, all of them can keep wicket. Maybe they're thinking, all right, if we have four keepers and Bangladesh have zero keepers, <laughs> that will be advantage Australia. That's all I can think of. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a stretch of an explanation, but I will take it. Um, let's talk about the teams then. Um, and I'll start briefly with the Bangladesh team. So Bangladesh are missing quite a few of their key players. So Tamim Mikbel mm-hmm. is out with a, with a long-term injury. Um, Litton Das is, is out with a family issue. Uh, and Mushfiq Rahim, of course, is going to miss... Uh, the tour through missing the isolation period mm-hmm. so for me it's a really interesting squad because I don't think Bangladesh know what their starting 11 is for the World T20 <laughs> and it's it becomes really exciting now for me because with Tommy Mikbal missing now you can sure as hell guarantee when Tommy returns to the team he will open and mm-hmm. what we've ex- effectively created now in this series is an audition to who's going to be able to open with him um, and we have really I think two likely contenders in, in Mohamed Naeem who's like a youngster who's come through the ranks and Shuma Shaka who's a little bit more experienced and I think both of them know they're auditioning which is why the Zimbabwe series was so good for both of them they were in the top three run scorers for Bangladesh in the whole series um, and I, I think one of the kind of sort of horrible things in cricket people always go well you know it's only Zimbabwe both of them will be absolutely gagging to prove they can do it against tougher opposition and I think that's going to be really really exciting and I think if you turned that around if you looked at Zimbabwe's efforts across those uh, across that tour they would have desperately wanted to at least take a game or two off Bangladesh they would have thought you know we we're of that sort of caliber to be completely whitewashed across the series is pretty significant you can say that it's only Zimbabwe but they're still a team that can nail you when things go right for them and they weren't able to do that across the whole series so it was a significant achievement from Bangladesh and I think someone like Shumya Shaka has he he needs to be able to put his stamp on the spot and say this is mine because he's look he's been around for long enough he's not a he's not a new and emerging player in that sort of way and we've seen him at his best uh, on occasions so it's it's really a matter of him being able to say I'm going to step up in the absence of Tommy McBell and make sure that I'm the senior opener who's going to do the job enough times no one can succeed in every T20 match but you know to be able to do it say three times across five that's enough to win you a series yeah absolutely it's it, it's it's I think for Bangladesh fans it's it's kind of refreshing to see there being genuine competition for places with um that some of those senior players players not there and also now actual positions in that side opening like we don't have a finisher mm-hmm. and it was really exciting for for someone like Shamim Hussain to step up during the uh, during the Zimbabwe series he's like come through the under 19 ranks and he had, he's only played two T20s ever and he had a good start but again it's that thing of can he do it against Australia and if he does he'll almost certainly become our finisher so mm-hmm. I think it, it's it's genuinely quite exciting for Bangladesh going into I think we've left it late don't get me wrong I think we've only got you know a handful of matches between now and our first match in the World T20 but mm-hmm. I think it's very exciting that there are so many players who are going right here's my chance to prove myself <laughs> and actually there are places in that squad at stake I mean is it a similar sort of case for Australia because I know uh, we're missing Steve Smith who who's more or less has his sights if I'm honest entirely on the Ashes rather than the World T20 let's be honest um, and obviously Aaron Finch is now kind of uh, out the series mm-hmm. as well I mean have Australia even as much as selected a captain not as far as I know as yet there are two candidates because Matthew Wade was captaining the T20 side back in 
December last year, was it, when Aaron Finch was missing for one or two matches there? But if you look at who's out for Australia, Warner, Finch, Smith, Maxwell. That's your top four. <laughs> that's your Australian top four in any T20 if they had all of their best players available. So those four are out. Um, in terms of specialist batting, there are zero specialist batsmen in the squad from Australia. It, it's an all-rounder-based squad in that it's it's Moses Enriques, uh, it's Ashton Turner, Dan Christian, Mitchell Marsh, who's been going really nicely recently, Ashton Agar a bit down the order, and then the four wicketkeepers who I mentioned earlier. So everybody's a jack-of-all-trades in the top seven, let's say, for Australia um, before you get to a, a pretty strong bowling lineup. So... This is definitely the look. It's not a second eleven, but maybe it's a second five or six mm. in terms of who can be making a case for themselves to be in that T Twenty squad. Uh, Philippi is the one who's really got a case to make. He's been so good in the Big Bash across the last couple of seasons as a younger player, as a top order player, as, as a wicket keeper. But it's interesting what you were talking about with, with openers, with players having an audition to be the opener. In Australia, it's the other way around. Everyone's the opener. Everyone <laughs> in Big Bash cricket opens the batting for their respective franchise across the eight teams. And then so often uh, the selectors pick all of the openers who've done well and then they have to fashion them into an actual batting lineup that goes down to seven um, <laughs> and it doesn't always work so well. I think that's why Dan Christian's there. That's why Ashton Turner is there because they're guys who've batted at six and seven consistently across a number of seasons and have done well. And that's maybe a lesson that selectors have learned from previous T20 World Cups. Well, that mirrors Bangladesh's situation because I think they've realised, particularly in, world t- in, in T20 cricket, you need a finisher, don't you? You, know, you need someone who mm. comes in when the wicket falls in the 16th over and can just sort of smash 10, 12 and over or, finish, yep. or, or complete a chase. Um, I was reading in quite a few places, Alex Carey tipped as being a uh, potential captain of this tour. Now, is, is, is he captaincy material or is he just, as a wicketkeeper, probably one of the least likely to be dropped and therefore gets given the old armband? Well, the thing is, he's not keeping in the T20s consistently because Matthew ah. Matthew Wade has been the T20 wicketkeeper. So this is the way that Australia's captaincy breakdown has gone. Tim Payne in the tests with people constantly talking about Steve Smith and whether he'll come back in the tests. <laughs> yeah. In the ODI team and the T20 team, it's been Finch. When Finch has dropped out in the ODI team, Alex Carey came in in the Caribbean because he was uh, he he's seen to be captaincy material in the longer term but selectors have been looking at him as a test captain even though he doesn't have a great first class record they're looking at him as a test captain because he's done so well in 50 over cricket so this is quite a complex sort of arrangement and it's mm. mostly based on the 2019 world cup because Kerry was so calm cool considered in the 2019 world cup anytime the pressure was on he was able to deliver they said oh that guy he's captaincy material despite averaging 32 or so in first class cricket we'll try to get him into the test team so he's then become the 50 over captain in the last few weeks when aaron finch has missed out but the t20 captain previously has been matthew wade and he's the t20 wicket keeper consistently and he's a destructive opening t20 bat consistently so He's a lock for the T20-11 and Kerry is not under normal circumstances. So Mm. what does that mean? Does Kerry play all five T20s, which he probably wouldn't have done if they didn't need a captain? 
Or do they give the captaincy armband to Wade and guarantee that he will play all five? Yeah, I imagine it'll be, uh, you know, we've had a similar sort of situation where Mushfika Rahim has stopped keeping because he wants to focus on his batting. And I guess the question mm-hmm. then goes, how much pressure is there on Wade at the top of the order? And, and does he want to, you know, and I guess it's the role that Timmy McBuzz been fulfilling for the one day squad for Bangladesh. Yep. So I think it feels like both teams are kind of almost using this as a as a sort of audition process. And um, all five games happen in quite a small period. I, mean, I think, I think mm-hmm. the first two are literally the day after the other. How does that affect players in terms of momentum? I think this is what they want. Um, they're probably hoping to play on a couple of used surfaces. So in the I Caribbean... I think they will be if they're playing all five games in the same venue. Yeah. So I think by the yeah. third or fourth, we'll be looking at sort of day three test wickets potentially. How many strips have you got in Dhaka? Can you, can you defend 62? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, but... but but in Barbados, where they played the three one days, uh, Curran Pollard was furious about the state of the pitches and was saying they were unacceptable. Alex Carey was saying, that's fine. We're happy with used pitches in a 50-over game where we get bowled out for 120 because we can defend that. That's what they want because when they're playing the T20 World Cup in the UAE, there are only so many grounds in the United Arab Emirates. You know, I don't know if you've done a ground survey, but there aren't that many going around. There'll be 60-odd matches played uh, in the later stages of the tournament. And I think three stadiums, but it- like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They'll they'll be they'll play the qualifiers in Oman, but they'll be banging between Abu Dhabi and Sharjah and Dubai. So, how many options are they going to have? They're going to be playing on used wickets. They're going to be defending uh, lowish scores on turning surfaces, like we saw in the 2016 uh, version of the competition in India, where we saw a, a lot of matches where teams defended 120, 130 sort of scores. You've got to be able to work out how to score runs on those wickets. So I think it will suit Australia really well to have the preparation. They'll be happy. If, if no team makes more than 130 in these five matches, they'll be delighted because even if they lose them, they'll be getting the experience on how to score on these sort of tracks. I think that's what we can hope for because I think um, in Duck, I think that you know the, the average score in a T20 batting first is about 150, which is a sort of you know total opposite of, of those sort of middling, you know, almost 200 scores that we've seen in Australia sort of you know knock up against West Indies, even in matches yeah. where they've lost, they've been able to put on sort of 190. So I think that's going to be kind of almost a, a, a psychological challenge of itself uh, on the batsmen in, in sort of situations where mm-hmm. potentially they're not getting as many runs, but also. Uh, on the bowlers, like I kind of, you know, someone like Ashton Agar, I can't wait to see how he fares in Dhaka. Like that for me is one of the most exciting things in the tournament because, you know, Bangladesh rely so heavily on their spin, and we've, you know, over twenty years had a fair share of left arm spinners. So one, when one travels and tours with another team, it's always quite exciting to see how they fare on the uh, on the on the sort of local on the local pitches. Um, they're also, <laughs> I think, six pm starts. Like Bangladesh do love a date night match, and I think that will be mm-hmm. quite interesting to see how that um, plays out because. You know, when when those games happen at six, like Bangladesh have that kind of dew problem that sometimes happens where there's a bit more moisture mm-hmm. in the kind of air and the grass, and so you know there's a real chance. And I'll be honest, I haven't checked the weather forecast in in Dhaka for the next week or so, but there's a real <laughs> chance that the, the matches could be won at the toss. Like you know, you you, you go and you bowl first and then chase. I think is is. Mm-hmm probably what will likely happen and and, and it, sometimes it can ruin a series because you're like right they've won the toss they've won the match but I think mm-hmm. it'll be really good for Bangladesh against a higher, higher strength opposition because we've not got many games left till the World T20 so we've got these five England playing yep. three and then potentially New Zealand playing three so at most a dozen matches which in my head isn't enough time to, to prepare for a World Cup like we've left it late I mean do Australia feel in a similar circumstance because you've absolutely you've played a lot more 2020 cricket but perhaps the results haven't always gone the way but this eleven hasn't played that much T20 cricket. This is mm. this is uh, how it works at the moment. Is that Australia, as a cricketing country, um, as a very strong cricketing country, has underperformed 
at P20 international level consistently for the almost the entire time the format has existed. Yes, they went to number one a couple of years ago um, and they won a bunch of matches on the trot and, and fine. But they've never, not only have they never won a T20 World Cup, look, they made the final in 2010, but they've rarely threatened in a T20 World Cup. It hasn't, it just hasn't clicked for Australia as a format. Uh, the the squads that they've picked haven't worked out. The approaches they've had, they've tried the approach of picking everybody who's in the test and ODI team, that hasn't worked. They've tried the approach of picking everyone who's done well in the Big Bash, that hasn't worked. So where are they going to be at this year? They just got absolutely monstered for one by West Indies because mm. West Indies players hit sixes more consistently than anybody else and Australia's yeah. bowlers didn't have an answer to that. Now, Bangladesh don't play that sort of style of T20 cricket, but they'll also be playing on quite different surfaces. So we're not going to see a lot of 194 v 188 sort of matches I would tip in this series. Um, but in terms of the squad that Australia have got, it, it, it is the players who would be coming in to fill the gaps in the first choice team. The look, Mitchell Marsh has done beautifully across that last T20 series, but that's the first time he's really dominated that format for Australia. Moses Enriques has been terrific in the big, big bash in the last couple of years, but does that mean that he's going to be able to turn it on for Australia? You know, yeah, I hope so. I hope these more fringe players are able to demand a place in that squad. I hope someone like Dan Christian can do it, having been brought back after so many years out of the Australian side, you know, just for the sake of, of seeing these players get the opportunity. But uh, it's it's not a super strong Australian side that Bangladesh are coming up against. And in home conditions, they should be looking to win the series and they should be looking to win it well. Well, here's the thing. Do we think the result of the series actually matters here? No. Or is it more the figuring out the gaps of both sides? Because Bangladesh sure as hell don't know they're starting 11 for the World T20. Yeah. It sounds like Australia don't either. And so for me, these are effectively homework matches of figuring out what our campaign looks like in October. Yeah, for both teams, I think that's the same. I think it's it's a bit of a dance. It's working out who knows the steps, you know, who can come in and lift the tempo where required. Uh, the, the result doesn't matter hugely. Australia weren't too bothered about whether they won or lost the series in, in the Caribbean either. It was more about seeing what players can do with the opportunity. There are plenty of opportunities across five matches. You really only need one good match to stamp your name on, on the papers, you know, to, to make selectors sit up and take notice of what you can do. So this is their opportunity. And I hope that means that we see players uh, operate with some freedom on both sides so that they're not so worried about the result. They're more worried about showing what they can do. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think uh, for me, a takeaway at the end of a week of T20 cricket would be matches where we haven't just entirely relied on Shakib and Marmadullah to win them. And mm -hmm. if we have some answers and we can start to fill that team sheet and kind of go, well, here's our best 11 and here's what's going to do the job in Oman and the United Arab Emirates, I think that mm -hmm. would, for me, you know, it's a, hard, not, it's a sort of risky thing to say and you don't worry about a series because nobody wants to have, not look at a 5-0 whitewash. Mm -hmm. But, um, it, you know, it, I, th I think for me, it's the homework and figuring out the answers that we don't have. And we have left it late. We have left it very late through kind of uh, World Cup Super League commitments and uh, a bizarre dead test rubber against Sri Lanka for the World Test Championships. It's been a kind of distraction. So I think it's nice now that we can actually focus on the World T20 against really quality of opposition. I think that's so important now. 
And it's just, well, it's especially nice to see Marmadula rocking up with the captain's armband. You know, it's, it's sort of an expendable situation. I feel like he's been playing since before I was born. Um, but he's, st- he's, you know, he's still out there. He's still giving it his all. He, he's, I think he's having a lovely time. He's been a fan favourite because, you know, he's such a good captain yeah. in the BPL domestically. So he's been a fan favourite for a long time. But of course, mm-hmm. with... You know, Mortarza a while ago, Shaki with Tamim in the squad. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult to go, well, give him the armband. But they've taken, a, a, a sort of, I guess, a leap of faith with him and the captaincy. And he, so far, has done quite well. And I think the World T20 is going to be a great opportunity for him to to sort of stamp himself on the world stage. Because, uh, you know, I always say this, but I'll be honest, people don't know what's happening in Bangladesh mm-hmm. cricket outside of tournaments. The majority of world cricket sure. don't. And so I think for Marmadullah, World T20, the world-watching time to shine. I think that's really, really exciting again for, for him in Bangladesh cricket. What it's really about is being a player with one name. You know, there aren't that many players who just have one name. But Madonna, Kylie, Beyonce, Mamadula. You know, this is what... You say that, Jeff, you say that. But during the Zimbabwe series on the TV, they somehow someone had hit a space bar between Mahmud and Ulla. And I didn't know why that was there. It's one of... I mean, I know there are some variations for cricketers when they are playing on tours and TV companies are trying to guess. I mean, but yeah, that that, that space bar did irritate me for at least the uh, first three days of that test match. I was like, who's put a space bar in there? Why have they done that? Mahmud Ulla. No. Smarmadilla, one name. Yep, that's that's what it's all about. If you only need one name to identify yourself, then people need to know what your name is. <laughs> um, let's have your predictions then. Let's have let's have you know five matches over seven mm-hmm. days. How's it going to go? Oh, it, look, it's going to be it's going to be a food fight. Um, it's going to be a free for all. We're not going to know what's happened. You, look, may, I don't know. Maybe Mitchell Stark takes forty three wickets. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go three-two homicide because I think everything's going to be chaos, um, but maybe it'll it'll come down uh, bungler in the end. Do you know, I'm tense until the first game because I, I you know, I feel like one positive test or you know, it, it's that kind mm. of world we live in now that can scuffer the cricket. And I, for me, it's now just holding mm-hmm. my breath until they get on and and and, and play that first ball. So, yeah, I, I think Australia will take a moment or two to adjust the conditions. I think Bangladesh should take the first two matches quite easily. They are played on consecutive days, that momentum. So mm-hmm. I, I would say, I, I think we'll go into the fifth match with a decider and hopefully it will come out Bangladesh 3-2 from a Bangladesh fan's perspective. But I think, yeah, I can see it being a sort of fun and close series. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing uh, some unexpected results, you know, like maybe maybe it's Ashton Agar 72 off 32 balls to win it or something like that. Whatever happens, we're not going to know <laughs> that that's what's going to happen until it happens. Jeff, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here. And thank you for listening to the Bungler Cricket Podcast. Uh, if you want to get in touch, send me an email, podcast at bunglercricket.co.uk and we'll see you for the next one very soon.